The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the Great Robot Wars. Anteater Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in free. Two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to UCI Conversations, a weekly public affairs program. Hello, everybody. This is UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, and my guest today is actor, professor Greg Ungar. Greg is an alumni of UCI and is a perennial favorite at UCI's annual New Swan Shakespeare Festival, which this summer of 2020 is on hiatus because of COVID-19. And I thought, you know, I don't care. It's too long to wait until next summer. I need some Greg Ungar. So hence, (laughs) here he is, the one, the only Greg Ungar. Welcome, Greg. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me to be a part of this. I appreciate it. It's good to be uh, connecting. Super, super. Great to hear your voice. You know, why don't you just fill us in, you know, where you grew up and when did the acting bug start to germinate for you? Sure. Well, I grew up in Thousand Oaks, California. Oh, okay. I lived I lived there till I was about 18 years old, and then I moved up to Northern California, and then back to Southern California, and then in Northern California, and then New York, Colorado, California, and then back to Colorado. <laughs> but I I I um I grew up in Southern California, and the acting bug, I suppose. If we discount class clown, although I'm not sure we should, <laughs> if we take that out and sort of think about sort of legit, uh, <laughs> I want to do a play kind of thing, that started in uh, grade school. I was interested in everything that was going on with the kids who were doing the acting, but I didn't really participate, and I'm not sure why. Maybe I felt that they were another breed or <laughs> something. I was Maybe I was too scared to get involved. Yeah. I'm not too sure. And when I got to seventh grade, they did plays and musicals at our local junior high, and I would go see them and go see them. And then I took a drama class there and had a great time. And then as I went into high school, I did it a little, a little bit but I wasn't fully committed to that, uh, to, to acting. And then when I went to college, I sort of double majored and I say sort of double majored because I never got an official major, but I was in plays and took acting classes in college. And then when I went to grad, Oh, go ahead. Before we just jump out. So you were at UC Berkeley, right? For your undergrad. I was, I was. So what were you majoring in there? 
I majored so, in, sort of. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I majored in philosophy in a big way. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was my that was my thing. And part of the reason I did that is that when I was in high school, I wasn't very into school at all, uh, at least academically. And I felt like when I finally went to college up in Berkeley, I was a little older. I didn't go to undergrad until I was 25. When I graduated from high school, I went to work on an assembly line in General Motors in Van Nuys, California. They still had a major auto manufacturing plant there. And I worked there for five or six years before I started reading and getting interested in going to college. But at that time, I was also taking acting classes at the college and so the acting bug, it's always been there. I just sort of skated around it for a long time and did it for a little bit of, a little bit of pleasure, a little bit of fun. And then I went to you know, undergrad, as I said, and did plays there. And then in grad school, I went to University of Colorado at Boulder, and I was a sociology PhD student in my first semester there. I auditioned and got into a play. And so I was doing a play at the same time I was doing grad school. And then I realized without getting the PhD, I, I took a master's degree in sociology, but I really, I realized I really want to do the acting thing. And that's when I auditioned for various graduate schools and wound up at UC Irvine to do my master's in uh, acting. Very interesting. Wow. So there were always plays. I was always taking classes or doing plays or something, but then doing something else on the side. And and uh, so it's it's been around a, a, a long a long time, but not in any real committed way until I decided to go to UC Irvine to get a to get a master's degree. Although committed, I was committed. I just never thought, oh, I'm going to be a professional actor right 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 so you know have you ever yeah i I just wasn't ready to you know make that big you know the big c word commitment or yeah yeah. uh, because you certainly if i haven't told you yet you're absolutely one of my favorite stage actors i every time i see you in the production you're the person i remember well, that's, that's, I'm very happy to hear it. And it's very kind of you to say, I, I, um, I'm not sure where that landed for me, say 20 years ago, when I went to UC Irvine to get my master's in acting. One of the reasons I chose the school is because in addition to the training that was great there. When you leave there, you have an MFA, so which gives you the option to teach. And I always was very interested in teaching, and I learned a lot about my craft by teaching. Mm. I, and so I was excited by that, and I, the idea of going and trying to be a professional actor, I just, it scared me <laughs> yeah. too much. It's, it's, it's a grueling, uh, I think I needed a little more uh, security in my life at that time. And also it could have been, although I'm not sure now because it's been so long, it could have been a confidence thing too. Mm-hmm. I could have had mm-hmm. thoughts of like, well, yeah. I'm just not good enough. 
I'm yeah. just not good enough. I'm just not good enough. And that story running through me, I don't actually believe that story anymore. I suppose mm-hmm. that if I had decided that to I, to be a professional actor, I may have been able to eke out a career uh, as an actor. But it's a it's a it's a very difficult path with many variables that are out of your control. And I was already older than my classmates when I went to UC Irvine for the master's degree. And I keep saying for the master's degree because I eventually went back to UC Irvine and did a PhD in theater and drama also. So. Gotcha. So, gotcha. Yeah. 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 So you, you, so when did you land at, cause you are a f- full-time professor at, is it the university of Denver? Is that? It is. Yeah. The university of Denver. So, so I got that job in 2012, in the fall of 2012. I finished my PhD in theater and drama from UC Irvine. I'm a double thankful grad of UC Irvine. And I finished that in 2008. And then I stayed in Orange County and did a bunch of, acted in a bunch of plays at Shakespeare Orange County and some other theaters. I worked at South Coast Repertory teaching for five years and I was applying for university jobs and nothing, nothing, nothing was happening. I could not get a job teaching. I had this PhD, I had an MFA, lots of experience, and yet I couldn't land a job. And then finally in 2011, uh, the winter of 2011, a posting went up for the University of Denver for a practitioner and somebody who could teach theater history. And because I had the PhD in theater, theater and drama, I could teach theater history, but I could also direct plays, teach acting, teach voice and speech, and do a whole bunch of other stuff. And they happened to be looking for what they call a theater generalist. And I fit the bill, and then I got that job and took that job, moved there, and work at the university and act in Denver. And then, of course, my favorite thing to do is to come out in the summer and work at the New Swan Shakespeare Festival, which I've been doing since summer of 2014. Okay. Okay. And I think maybe, well, I may have been like a couple of years after that where I, where I, I didn't even know about the, the Shakespeare Festival until, uh, until maybe 16 or something like that. So, uh, yeah, um, they were yeah. at it since 2000, I think 2011 or 2012. I think I missed two summers but I've been there ever since. Gotcha. Um, what do you think of that stage? Is it just something to love? I mean, have you ever seen anything like that? It, it, certainly I've never seen anything like that. Have you? I, yeah, n- no, I've, I've never worked in a space like that or been and seen shows at a space like that. It is a unique space. It, it it's quite beautiful from the outside mm-hmm. and the inside architecturally. It's just gorgeous. And as an actor working in that space, it's, it's fantastic because the audience is close. We're, yeah. we're, 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 we're with the audience, which is such a treat because it's like, we're doing the play together, the audience right. and the actors and we feed off them. They feed off us uh, and yet it also has some interesting challenges because as an actor, because you don't, it's not like it's a thousand seat house where you need to project 
in a huge, huge way in order to communicate to the back row. I've worked at the Colorado Shakespeare Festival, for example, in Boulder, and that's a mm. giant theater. And so you really need to, although they use microphones now, but when I worked there, they didn't. But so at, at New Swan Shakespeare Festival, we have this outdoor feel and, and this top row and everybody needs to hear and see us. Uh, so you have to strike an, uh, an important balance between projecting to the back row and communicating intimately and truthfully uh, with, ev- with everyone. So, mm-hmm. so it's, it, but to back to your question, Kevin, it's a fantastic space to work in. I think all of the actors that work in it love to work in it and our audiences love to be in that space. And the other reason I, of course, now have such a such a love for that space is I've spent so many summers there. It's a it's a home for me, and I love the challenges it presents for actors and and the as I said already the, the intimacy that it has between the performers and the audience. It's yeah. it's just a fun space. Yeah, yeah. Just for any listeners out there who don't know about the New Swan Shakespeare Festival, it's right in the breezeway between Langston yeah, Library, Library in the summer, and they build they they rebuild it every summer. And you know, even if you're not a Shakespeare fan or you're like, oh, I don't know, it really is just to go experience it. You won't forget it. I just highly recommend it. So uh, just that's my two cents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll add to your two cents. I'll add another two cents. <laughs> yes, first time Shakespeare audiences love it and return to us. Um, people who love Shakespeare come to us and people who have had a lot of experiences going to see a lot of Shakespeare, they come to our space and they just rave about it. We have a lot of returning folks it's become an extremely popular thing to do on the campus in the summer. And one of the things that we're teamed up with the Shakespeare Center, which is a UC Irvine organization, and we bring in a lot of first-time Shakespeare folks, students who come and always rave about how they could understand it. Yeah. And that's, of course, so, so right. in, important. So. Yeah, come out, right? Yeah. So come out and, and check us out uh, when we can all do that live again. Right, right. Excuse me just for a moment, Greg. If you joined us late, you're listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, and my guest today is UCI alumni and New Swan Shakespeare Festival Associate Artistic Director, Greg Ungar. I was really looking forward to Greg directing Shakespeare's Julius Caesar this summer, but because of COVID-19, it wasn't to be. Is that right now scheduled for next summer, Greg, or do you know? Yes, that is scheduled for next summer. Julius Caesar and a Comedy of Errors were our 2020 summer, but that's intending to be our 2021 summer. And in case folks don't know, our theater is dark, but we're doing a Zoom, Skype, Facebook live version of Midsummer Night's Dream this summer. We'll put that up oh, toward the end of August and um, maybe we can get a link and you can put it on yeah. your page, Kevin. Yeah. yeah. We decided to remount a show that was popular, Midsummer Night's Dream. Are you going to play Bottom? That- I am. I was actually doing a little 
recon before my interview with you on YouTube, and there was a video or two of you uh, rehearsing for that. And yeah, it was great. The comment that stuck with me is like, "There's something magical when an actor or anybody puts on a mask." You know how you can. There's something freeing about it to to take take on another life. So, uh, yeah, good, yeah, good, that's, good, that's true. Good stuff. So, well, how about in terms of acting technique? Do you work strictly a certain way, or is it something that you personally developed? Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, sure, I'd be happy to. Well, I, it's. It's difficult to track for me all the influences in terms of acting theory and pedagogy and training that I've had because I've had so much. I've taken countless classes and then, of course, have an MFA and return and take classes even now. And there's so many different kinds of tools that actors draw upon. And and now I am often unaware of the tools that I'm drawing on because they're so inside of me. I would, of course, at the most basic level, what I want to do is have the situation and the words, the Mm. thoughts, the actions, the desires of that character of what's on the page become my own where I'm both, communicating from my own experiences and my own imagination and also whatever has bore its way into me by virtue of working on the role. So I spend a lot of time, of course, in Shakespeare in particular, understanding what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's basic work there, understanding what you're saying, memorizing what you're saying, and then imagining and putting yourself in the shoes of that character and trying to live truthfully with your other actors in that moment. Now that it all sounds to me, as I say that it sounds a little heady, but it's actually not too heady. It's not real academic work. It's, it's heart work and it's, Uh, imaginary work and you want to figure out what a character wants what they're trying to do in a scene and a lot of it comes together for me anyway when I'm in the room with a bunch of actors I can I get all sorts of ideas about how a thing should be played or how it will be played or what it means but it's really not until I'm with other actors in the room that we sort of figure out what the thing is what the moment is what the what that yeah, what that moment is and what that scene is and even eventually what the play is. We're super fortunate at New Swan. We use a lot of great, great actors and UC Irvine alums of the master's program, also undergrads as well at once in a while. So we always have great people and I, I don't worry too much that things will work out anymore because once you're in a room with a, you know great directors, a great team, crew, actors, then things just kind of come together. So, yeah, I, 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 in yeah. terms of technique, I, I have spent a lot of time on vocal technique and movement technique. And what I hope is that my voice and my body 
can communicate clearly to an audience the story that we're trying to tell without technique being obvious at all. But mm-hmm. we just, you know, that's the thing we want to get. We want to have so much technique that it goes away. Mm-hmm. Right, right. It's really <laughs> well, great. That's, that's craft. So um, right now, for example, I'm working on remounting bottom in a Midsummer Night's Dream. And when I did Midsummer Night's Dream, that was two years ago. I was a certain person with certain ideas and certain thoughts and feelings and all this sort of stuff. And now I'm in a different place. And I'm curious about how bottom could be different, both from me, because I've changed, but also we're doing it in a different medium under Zoom. What's that like to communicate in that way? But I have to be open to the fact that it's going to be different. And I want it to be different and how I'm different will, will impact that, I hope. So I, I keep a pretty extensive journal as I work on a role, just letting ideas flow out of me of what something might mean. I create a backstory for the character, my relationship to the other characters. That I, I write all that stuff out. Some folks don't write that stuff out. I write that stuff out and just play with it, what my life might have been as a bottom, the weaver, as an actor. And it go, it can be pretty in-depth work there. And the hope, you know, we never know, but the hope is that that kind of biography or autobiography of a character will play itself out in interacting with the other characters and how you do the play. I never know. Like, for example, if I write that I had a certain relationship with my father as Bottom. Well, Bottom's father is never an mm-hmm. aspect of the play, but you never know. Right? It, mm-hmm. it might impact something. It grounds me anyway to have done that kind of uh, historical work. So, yeah, know what you're saying. So I try to know what I'm saying, why I'm saying it. And uh, then be open and go into a room and work with other actors and see what happens. That's the sort of the bottom line of it. That's wonderful. You know, I hope I can say this quickly. In the last six months, I'm actually in UCI Zotspeak Toastmasters. And the top level in Toastmasters, distinguished Toastmaster, I had to do a speech about every two and a half weeks. And four and a half years ago, when I came to this organization on campus, you know, really early on, Greg, I identified them like, wow, this seems a lot like acting. You know, they mm-hmm. talk about vocal variety and body language. And, and actually, for the first time, there was a gentleman in there that's not an actor. I've always heard people talk about watching certain actors like work, like watching how he works. And I never really knew what that meant. But for the first time, I'm like, well, I can see him working he's with the character or he's with his speech and then it's like it's not so so clear but i could see him working to get to the clarity and i had to do this like every two and a half weeks i'd have a new speech so the meaning of the words really you know sometimes i wrote it those speeches and other times i didn't so that's that's uh huge and I don't know. Do do you feel like memorization is is that that's super challenging for me? But then again, that work, whether it's easy or hard, you still have to connect with it. I don't know. Is it is it easier or harder for you, or you don't even think about it? I do think about it. I and I I 
I do think I'll take two things you said because this this idea of work and practice I'd like to just address for a second as well. Memorization it requires a great deal of work on on my part. Everybody's different, and it also changes the older one gets. I can attest to that. I work a lot. I do a lot of repetition. I record my lines. I write my lines out. I paraphrase the scenes, and I'll go into it as many ways as I can to get it inside my body so that hopefully it will come out of my body, even if even uh, if, if I, for some reason I get in my head or, or whatever happens, of course, with live theater, there's always something going on that could distract you or whatever. But, but memorization's a lot. It's, it's a lot. And one of the keys for me, and I think for a lot of actors, is I don't memorize how a thing is going to be said. Right. Just memorize the words themselves and have an understanding of the meaning and why you're saying them. And then they'll come out as they need to come out. I just want to go back, Kevin, and, and say something I, that I, th- I think you said something really important, which is seeing this other person you were talking about who work. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what generally people think actors do in rehearsal, but what I do and what actors that I work with do is we go in there and we try to figure out by working, by practicing, by getting it wrong, what the moment should be. And the more things we try on and get wrong, the closer we can get to figuring out what's right for that production. So it, one must be willing to risk in rehearsal and in performance being willing to fail being willing to get it wrong in order to find our path to what's right. And certainly one of the things that I love about doing live theater is that every night I hope I'm willing to fail. I hope I'm willing to get it wrong. And that means not going out there and necessarily doing the same thing every night, but being open to however I am that night and whatever my acting partners are giving me and whatever's going on with the audience. Because if I can be open to that, then I'm living in a real, true experience and hopefully giving the audience something that's that's real and not just sort of programmed. Now, an audience member probably couldn't necessarily tell from one night to the next how a thing had changed. But actors are always talking about how it was different tonight. Or it was, why was it different? We don't know. It's a great mystery. But to be open to getting it wrong means that something new and exciting can happen. And so as you, the reason I mentioned that is because you mentioned watching this guy work and, and in rehearsal in particular, we're just, we're just trying all sorts of things. We, the director or assistant director will offer a suggestion or another actor will offer a suggestion, not by speaking to it, but just by doing something different. And then we're sorting it out. And, and we're, I just love what you said. We're working, we're working, trying to figure out what a thing is and how, important that is. And I appreciate getting the chance to, to talk about that stuff because sometimes I forget because I, I like many people, want safety and security just to <laughs> go back, go back to what we initially talked about with my path. And so it's nice to sort of know, well, this is how we do it. How exciting is it to not know how it'll go one night? You can't deviate too far because right. 
when you're in yeah. production, of course, because the production looks a certain way, but, but being willing to still continue to work, even though you have a long run, our runs in the summer runs are, are for those of you who don't know, runs are how long a show go 30 performances, 80 performances, 10 performances. And, you know, a lot of these folks who do really long performances, few years, you know, 500 performances really talk about this a lot, how important it is to come in and hope for something new and be open for something new. So I, I, I really appreciate you, Kevin, talking about this guy you saw who was working. Yeah. Working. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. You know, one other comment that I, that I learned in the last six months, Greg, and I'd love to hear your take on this is that because like I had this deadline, I, I had so many speeches I had to do that I was oftentimes I had to begin work on my next speech before I gave like that morning of my speech, I would be working on the next speech or I, you know, there was no time to like take a couple of weeks like, well, what am I going to do? You know, well, I'll find something <laughs> that no, 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 you know, there was this deadline and all I did was I just had to give it my all. I had to work my butt off to make this happen. And um, there was a serenity that I really had forgotten about how, gosh, when you're giving it your all, no matter whether it's if you're a mathematician or you're a sociologist or whatever, there's a magic that happens that there's a certain level of confidence. It's like, well, you know what? I've worked as hard as I can. Let's just see what it is. Yeah, that's beautifully put. And I do know for myself, the busier I am, for example, as you put it, like with another, in my case, with another show while I'm working on a show, then I have to trust that we've done the work, just as I think what you're saying. We've done the work and we're going to go out there and do it. But being busy and just sort of hopping on that wave to, to use the Southern California uh, <laughs> metaphor, to hopping on that wave and, and going for it and trusting that you've done the work is, is, a, is a thing to do. Uh, you know, we all get a little nervous uh, when we're in front of other people uh, performing, sharing work. But I, it, yes, to what you're saying. <laughs> um, if, if, I, if I got you right, if, if yeah. that's what you're saying, that when you were really busy having to write another one and prepare another one, that you had to trust that the other one was in place. And I certainly have had that experience. And I've also understudied, for those of you who don't know what understudy is, you probably do, but um, that means being ready to go play a role that you didn't actually rehearse, but you've watched and had to go in for another actor. And boy, talk about trusting and just flying oh on gosh. the seat of your pants. It's That's an, a very intense uh, experience, but that's another one where you kind of, you kind of have to trust. And the thing that we act, we as actors and performers always have to remember that it's hard to remember is the stakes feel high, but they're not that high. <laughs> that is so funny. Because yeah, so I mean, they seem like they're really high. <laughs> they feel so high, but then someone will say, you know, yeah, it, it ain't cancer. Right? Yeah. yeah. So it's not so, brain yeah. surgery. It's not brain surgery. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's nothing like that, but they, they feel high. And, and I think that for me, they, they feel high for a good reason. Um, to go see a play takes 
a lot on the part of an audience. Mm -hmm. They pay for the tickets. Mm -hmm. They maybe they get a babysitter. Maybe someone mm -hmm. comes to feed the dog. Mm -hmm. They go. To, they drive to the theater. They park. They come over. So I feel like you know we we owe it to them to give yeah. them a story well told, and so the stakes feel high in that regard. We want to give our audiences the best experience we can give. So in that way, they're high, but still. It, yeah. You know, it's not brain surgery. Right. But yeah, but I think what you're describing is it's a respect. These people are taking their time. You know, they could do a lot of things. They've chosen to come here. You want to give it your best. You want to be yeah. the best you can be. So Absolutely. Excuse me, just one more time, Greg. If you're just joining us, you're listening to UCI Conversations, and I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer. My guest is actor, director, professor extraordinaire, Greg Ungar. And we're just talking about acting. He's an alumni of UCI and very involved with the New Swan Shakespeare Festival. And we briefly talked about they're going to do a Zoom Facebook version of Midsummer Night's Dream. Who's directing that, Greg? The artistic director and founder of New Swan Shakespeare Festival, Eli Simon, professor okay. at UCI. Very familiar with Eli. In fact, he's been on the show before. So, Great. Ah, yes. Um, how about, I see that you are a certified Fitzmaurice voice work instructor. Can you briefly tell us a little bit about what that is for an actor? Sure, sure. Uh, so there are several different sort of schools of voice and speech training. And Fitzmaurice is one of them. Linklater, there are, there, there are several others. And Fitzmaurice technique is a way of working on creating an expressive voice that I picked up when I went to UC Irvine to get my master's degree. They taught the Fitzmaurice method. Mm. And I went to New York and after I graduated from UCI and got certified as a Fitzmaurice instructor, it's a lot, but what it comes down to is putting your body in a situation to be able to breathe and communicate in such a way that you offer the audience, as you said earlier, Kevin, vocal variety and honesty and clarity uh, for your audiences. It's really about telling stories clearly for your audience and using your vocal technique to do that. The work involves putting your body in uh, modified yoga positions and activating your breathing. And it's a training that they still use at, at UC Irvine. And you shake things up in your body so that you can breathe and communicate clearly. Gotcha. Are you familiar with the Arthur Lessac voice sure. training? Oh, okay. Yeah. The reason I brought it, I actually went through Arthur Lessac voice training. So oh, yeah. wondering did, if it did, was known in the day. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know a lot about it, but it was one of those that came up a lot when I was getting certified and just sort of immersing myself in the world of voice and speech training. We hear about Lissac. Gotcha. What about, you know, a lot of times I'll ask my guests about adversity in their career. Do you feel like, you know, in the slings and arrows or the, the ups and downs, um, you know, was there any particular hard time in your career? Um, anytime I'm not working <laughs> as an actor, it's hard. I, uh, I'm a theater artist. 
and I want to be working, not being able to get work. When I moved to Denver in the fall of 2012, it took me a while to get some work. I got a few smaller things, but it took a while for my name to be known in the Denver area and to start to get work. I think, what is that saying? If you want to make an actor really unhappy, give them a job. <laughs> and the, the joke there is that actors really, as most people do who care about what they do, they worry about doing a good job. So you have a bunch of actors walking around wanting work. And then when they get it, they're fretting because they want to do a good job. And then they want to get the next job after that. I have been in this privileged position of being able to make a living as a teacher and then doing acting. I, I never relied on acting as my primary source of livelihood. So I wasn't in a position where I was not having any work and therefore not having any food, not being able to survive because I didn't have an acting job. Mm. That wasn't my situation. But once I have a job, the adversity is feeling like you're not doing a good enough job. Mm -hmm. uh, and that can vary by night. You can have a good night and a bad night and, and an audience member and I might not be able to tell the difference, but you feel the difference. And it gets discouraging to feel like you're not giving the audience what they deserve. And of course, you can be wrong about that self-evaluation. But the adversity is usually comes in the form of not being able to get a job, which very, as I've learned over the years, is very often a question of just being the right fit. I think right now I sort of am at this place in my life where I feel like I can do it. I, I can act. Mm -hmm. I, I know what to do. And mm -hmm. I can probably give them what they want, I, I think. Um, so a lot of times it'll be a while before the right role comes around and understanding that it always is a question of having the right role for the right person. But other than that, yeah, uh, not working is the biggest, yeah. <laughs> the biggest problem. This is summer, there... for example, and, and, <laughs> and you know, as a result of COVID, I have a many friends who are out of work. I right. talk about adversity. Again, I am not dealing with that right now because right. I'm still knock on wood. I'm still employed. But I have a lot of friends who are actors who are not employed. And this is a real hard real hard time for, for, right. for them, of course. Right. How is the, the, the instruction going? Now, are you actually teaching acting classes at the university? So, yes, we went online in the spring. I was teaching an advanced acting class that wow. had to be moved online. I also teach, uh, because I'm a generalist, I teach theater history, dramatic literature, voice and speech, acting, and then I also direct plays. I direct a play once a year. Mm -hmm. So very often in the summertime when we're working on New Swan, once the shows are up and running, I spend my days preparing to direct in the fall or preparing to act if I'm going to act in a play in the fall. Mm -hmm. So I teach a lot of stuff at the university. Gotcha. How did that go? For, you know, teaching, obviously, you know, acting is a very personal scene study and so forth. Was it, you know, how did it go? You know, Kevin, it went, I think, as well as it could. The students, they learned their lines. They showed up with ideas. They tried stuff. 
we figured out how to do it and I hope that they learned something. It wasn't ideal and it was discouraging, I think, for many of them to not be in person, but we did it. We did a bunch of scenes and I think they might have learned stuff. I hope so. Uh, so it went, it, went, it went just fine. It's not a, definitely not a preferred way of teaching acting. I also taught a theater history class. That's kind of different, a little easier to do that online. But we did it. We did acting and yeah. So it got you. I consider you an actor's actor. Do you have a favorite playwright? This is a listener question. I'm going to give you a couple of listener questions right now. So go I ahead. love it. I, 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 that's a, it's a great question because it gives me a chance to, <laughs> to, to spend time in my head with playwrights I love. Well, I'm going to give an awful answer that, that, the, that the asker will hate. Uh, whatever play I'm working on, <laughs> that playwright is yeah. the playwright that I love. But in general terms, I love Samuel Beckett and oh. Tony Kushner and August Wilson and oh. Shakespeare. These are folks that I've spent some time in. The August Wilson, of course, I've never acted in an August Wilson. Play, I was wondering about that. I, yeah, no, but but I've spent I spend a lot of time with August Wilson in, in my classes. I'm extremely grateful to Shakespeare because Shakespeare gives a lot of us actors a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And it's so deep and so rich. The material yeah. is so rich and, and challenging. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that as well. But I also find when I'm doing a play that, that is not Shakespeare, the challenges are all there as well. It's, it's not the case that I think that a contemporary playwright is somehow easier than Shakespeare. I, I don't feel that way. It, the, the things they've written down, they've written down in very specific ways and have to be treated in a very specific ways. And so it's a lot of the same kind of work. It's just some of the language, of course, in Shakespeare is archaic and, and the sentence constructions, or you have to kind of right. tease that out and figure out what the heck's going on there. So, uh, sorry, listener, um, uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, it's, it's so funny right now. I'm, I'm working on directing a play in the fall called I and you by Lauren Gunderson. And she's my favorite playwright right now. And then I, the next day I turn to Shakespeare, I'm working on bottom and there's my favorite playwright. So <laughs> yeah, that's, that's where that's at. Well, maybe we've already answered the second question is like, he wants to know, like, what does Shakespeare mean to you? Well, mm, great question. Great question. Shakespeare, it me, it me, yeah. Those plays have been with me for a very long time. I started digging in deep to Shakespeare when I was pretty young not as an actor, just as I sort of discovered the language and the, the puzzles that Shakespeare uh, presents us and the humanity uh, and the variety of stories and the, all the characters come from such unique points of view. They seem like real people. I, what Shakespeare means to me is a tremendous amount of work that it's given me and people that I've been able to work with, the collaborations 
that I've been able to have, the friends I've made along the way, the families, the temporary families that we have in the theater. I've done a lot of Shakespeare plays now, relatively. I spent five years at Shakespeare Orange County. I did Shakespeare at UC Irvine, and now all my time with New Swan. It's just the work is at the, at the say, the center of my acting uh, career, such as it is. So I feel a, a great amount of gratitude for the work, for the plays, and uh, excited every time I get to do a new one. I, I, I think it, it speaks to a lot of people, and I love it. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's what it, yeah. Yeah. Is there a Shakespeare play that you haven't worked on yet that you really want to? Sure. Yeah. Uh, there are a couple. Um, I'd love to work on, as an actor, I'd love to work on Richard III. Mm. Uh, and as an actor, I'd love to work on uh, Othello, particularly mm. Iago. Mm. Uh, <laughs> those are a couple. And then uh, Titus Andronicus is another one that I like, but sort of craving, craving. Um, I love Richard III and Richard II. And then the history plays. We haven't mm. dug too deep or at all really into the history plays at New Swan for a number mm. of practical reasons. We mm. love those plays, but um, soldiers and battles are tough uh, mm. <laughs> things to, to deal with. But those, mm. are, those are a couple of plays. But I, I, I would, I'm not at King Lear yet. I'm just not that, I'm not that old yet. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, although Lear is, is not as old as one might think. But I'd love to get a chance to get into to Richard's Richard three and Richard two if I could do it. But I have been I have those desires, but I have been incredibly fortunate at New Swan Shakespeare Festival. Uh, I have been given such terrific roles to play with amazing casts. Uh, so I I feel very lucky and totally satisfied. Yeah but there are some that I'd still like to do. Wonderful. Maybe last but not least, a listener wants to know if you have any advice for young actors working on Shakespeare. Working on, young actors working on Shakespeare. Well, yeah, um, you know, maybe Shakespeare and then also generally speaking. Um, yeah, sure. I guess what I've learned, I think it helps to separate the profession from the art and to keep in mind in terms of the profession that if you care about telling stories as an actor keeping at it and having the patience to know that jobs will come work will come if you stick with it and love it and are passionate about it they will come. It's a very hard profession, but it is possible to do it. People do it all the time and are able to do it and build careers. In terms of the art, I try to learn as much as possible from every single person I work with. And and I have read a lot of the books and I've tried a lot of things and be willing to just try things and fail, try things and fail. When it comes to Shakespeare versus uh, some other playwright, the work is the same, I think. Mm -hmm. Figure out what you're saying and why you're saying it and go in there and 
be open to the ideas that are coming at you and be vulnerable to getting it wrong and just trying trying different things out and learning and keeping a journal, writing things down, learning from people, learning from people and sort of keeping a record of that has, I think, helped me uh, a lot. So, so those are some things I'd recommend to young actors. And uh, Shakespeare is, is, is a bit, it's a bit challenging at first because of the language, but, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's doable. It's yeah. it's comprehensible. We all encounter Shakespeare and go, ah, it's Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, what do I do? And and there's also this this myth out there of sort of that there's a right way and a wrong way to do Shakespeare, as if it's got some sort of yeah special category of right. of. But it, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. I believe that you know familiarity helps. Um, there are certain tools that we're given for, for going at Shakespeare, but it's, you know, it's, it's like a lot of other material. You just have to know what you're saying and why you're saying it. And then of course we could go technical and talk about the rhythms that are located in the language that are there to help you communicate. And you learn that stuff along the way. Iambic pentameter, for example, stressed and unstressed lines and all this stuff. But that's not, that's not where the where the rubber meets the road, where the juice is. The juice is understanding what you're saying, why you're saying right. it, and acting through yourself as truthfully as you possibly can without effort. Yeah, <laughs> so do, to, right, right. Do you think this is would be helpful, Greg? Is that like literally? So you know, in Shakespeare, you have the lines, and yeah, it's challenging. So you know, as the actor, you have to figure out what those lines mean. And, you know, you may make a mistake in terms of what the line means. But if you have in your mind, okay, I'm trying to figure this out. And, you know, in this moment right now, when I'm working right now, this is what I figured out. And I'm going for it. I'm going with it. I'm going for it. Heck, that commitment could make it totally understandable, right or wrong. I I, I don't know. Maybe that's... Absolutely. Uh, Kevin, I think that's absolutely right. I mean... um it's interesting to think about right or wrong, what that can possibly mean in the context of a performance that's working. I guess when you're sitting around a table talking about what the words mean, which very often rehearsals the very first day will be what's called a table read, where we sit around and we have already done a lot of homework at the New Swan Shakespeare Festival. We we come in memorized and hopefully have done all the homework about what things mean, but we talk about what they mean. And also having the a meaning of a word wrong, you're absolutely right if you, for example, had it wrong, that the meaning of the word could still, it could take on a new meaning depending on the context because well that's true with all sentences and words mm-hmm. right like the the three words i love you mm-hmm. mean, mm-hmm. can mean an infinite number of things depending on the context so through working with the other actors you create the meanings of the lines although words as individual words uh have specific meanings it gets a little yeah, yeah, it's feeling yeah. a little esoteric right now as I speak about it. But <laughs> there are these huge books and lexicons to tell you what certain words. Right, right. It, you know, 
Yeah, I mean, it's with with Shakespeare's language, some of the words don't mean the same thing as the way we use them now, even if the word is familiar. Right. Yeah, just real quick, because we, we got just a few minutes left, Greg. In terms of, we've referred to failure, things you've tried. Does anything come to mind? You have such a big vocabulary of work. You know, is there anything like, oh yeah, there was this one failure. <laughs> I don't know uh, what it might be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a great question. I can think of roles that I'd like to go back and do again that I wouldn't say were failures necessarily, but but I'd like another crack at it because I think I could bring more to it. Yeah, I think that would be more accurate. And that could just be a fortunate aspect of my memory <laughs> that yeah. it's taking care of me. Right. Um, of, of course, there are moments in all productions where, you know, somebody said the wrong line or those sorts of things, getting things wrong, losing a costume piece right before you go on stage and those sorts of things. But in terms of, and in particular, I'm thinking of New Swan now, I haven't had any where I thought I really blew that whole that whole thing. I really got that whole thing wrong. I do feel that there are things I'd like to go back and do again but nothing that just feels like an agonizingly yeah. mistake. Now, others might have a different view on my, <laughs> on my work in a role, but that's been my take on it. And, you know, you, you, you spend a lot of time in rehearsal working and you, you trust the people that, that are watching the show. You're, not, you're, you're, you're trying not to watch it so much as, as do it and you hope that they will tell you if something's uh, right, not working. Right, you know. right. Right. Well, hey, Greg Ungard, thank you so much for spending this full hour with us. We really appreciate it. And we're looking forward to seeing you sooner. Yeah, we're looking forward to seeing you sooner than later. So we're uh, keeping our fingers crossed. Well, Kevin, where we are hoping to be open and going in summer of 2021. And, and then, of course, we're doing this online Zoom, Skype, Facebook event of Midsummer Night's Dream for New Swan. And I really uh, appreciate you interviewing me and, and talking with me. And I have such love and gratitude for the UC Irvine community. I have spent a lot of years there and I'm so grateful to the university for all that it's given me. And so thanks for asking me these questions about things that I care about because it's making me revisit them too. Thank you again to UCI's New Swan Associate Artistic Director, Greg Ungar, for sharing his love of acting, Shakespeare, and UCI. That was a terrific ride. Don't forget, New Swan will be presenting a Midsummer Night's Zoom August 26th through the 29th, 2020. To register for this free two-part performance, Google UCI, a Midsummer Night's Zoom. Enjoy. And we will see you and actor Greg Ungar next summer for the 2021 New Swan Shakespeare season. And now turning the page, kudos to Fred Kaplan for providing all my show theme music, as always, from his CD Signifying. It's a terrific compilation filled with great blues piano. Check it out. And now coming up next at 5 p.m. is Entrepreneur Nation with Ash Kumra discussing a different aspect of successful business practices. Stay tuned. You have been listening to the UCI Conversation Show, 
where every week we explore another corner of the land of blue and gold with interviews of UCI leaders, innovators, and zot, 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 everyday anteaters. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, and you are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Keep working hard. Be kind to your fellow human beings. Keep wearing your masks and practicing good social distancing. We will get through this. Have a great evening. So long, everybody.